Well, I trust that you know that Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, is inarguably the most important Sunday in the entire church calendar. It's the Sunday where Christians all over the world celebrate the central message of hope that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And friend, if you need hope today, as I said earlier, before we got into the scripture reading, we have a place for you to go, yourchurch.com forward slash next. In fact, it'll be up the entire time throughout my sermon, just as a reminder of where you can go to get help, or maybe you know someone who needs help, you can point them to that particular place, and we'd love to help you understand the hope in Jesus. Easter Sunday is the moment when we celebrate this truth, that Jesus is risen from the dead. So risen from the dead. When you hear that phrase, what are the words that stand out to you? Maybe risen, maybe dead. Well, this morning what I wanna do is unpack not the word risen and not the word dead, but rather the word from, from. From is a, a word that communicates change and transformation. From is a word that communicates even hope. For example, let's apply this to our cultural context. There is going to come a day in the middle of this battle with COVID-19 when cities and people will emerge from their stay-at-home order. And what a moment that's going to be. There will be a day when infection rates will slow from what it was previously. And when we look back on this season that we're all in, we'll reflect on the lessons that we learned from this crisis. So the word from is really important. In fact, in the Bible, the word from is used even in a more personal and spiritual way. For example, the Apostle Paul says this in Colossians chapter one. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Or rather, the Father has delivered us from the kingdom. In, in Romans chapter eight, it says this. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And in Galatians 1.4, it says, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. So in the Bible, the word from is tethered to the transformation that comes because of Jesus' victory. In other words, you can think of it this way, that the resurrection from the grave creates the possibility of being delivered from our sins. There's a connection from the grave from our sins, from our grave, from his grave, from our sins. And the basis of this hope is that Jesus is alive. Now, it seems in John's gospel that John wants us to see these sort of transformation moments, if you will, these from moments. In fact, the whole reason why John writes this gospel is so that you could move from unbelief to belief. And what I wanna do is to show you four different transformation moments in this text, and I want you to see the way that John shapes this story in order to show us how people moved when they encountered the resurrection from confusion to belief, from sorrow to belief, from fear to belief, and from doubt to belief. So those four words, confusion and sorrow, 
and fear and doubt. And those are all words that Jesus has the ability to move us from towards something else. Hope and believing in him. So I hope today as we study this passage that you'll listen carefully and you'll even ask yourself this question. Of these four words, which, are, which is the one that I need to really lean into? Is it confusion? Is it sorrow? Is it fear? Is it doubt? What is it? And particularly if you're not yet a Christian and you're, you're watching today to be able to consider why is it that here you are watching a sermon on Easter Sunday and what is the story that God's trying to write in your life? So four transformation moments. First one is this, from confusion to belief. From confusion to belief. Chapter 20 begins with these words. Now on the first day of the week, first day of the week, instead of the Sabbath on the Saturday, now we have the first day of the week, Sunday, becoming the day that the church celebrates the resurrection of Jesus. And in this respect, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Not just this one, although this is the one where we really focus on it. Every time we gather on the first day of the week, it's a reminder that Jesus is alive. Verse one tells us that Mary Magdalene is the first one to visit the tomb. Mary was a devoted follower of Jesus. If you tuned in last week, she was there at the crucifixion. She was there from nearly the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Apparently she had met Jesus in Galilee. That's what Magdalene means. It's in reference to an area in which she lived and Jesus had cast seven demons out of her according to Luke chapter eight. Now other gospel writers tell us that there were other women who went to the tomb. John chooses though to focus particularly on Mary because John isn't just writing a historical record. There's a message that John wants you to receive and he uses the story of Mary in order to push that story forward. Upon arrival to the tomb, Mary discovers that the stone had been rolled back. The text says Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. This tomb had been secured, other gospel writers tell us, by Roman authority. Pilate had put a series of guards there, told them to make it as secure as you can, put his seal on it. And I just have to wonder what the angels thought when they arrived at the tomb and saw this silly Roman seal like that's gonna stop them. In fact, one of the most humorous things I think in the Bible is Pilate saying, make it as secure as you can. Little do they know they're trying to hold back the Son of God. Matthew tells us that an earthquake takes place, an angel rolls back the stone. When Mary arrives, she sees the, the stone moved and she is dismayed, she thinks that somebody has robbed the tomb. Grave robbers were common in that day, or that maybe somebody with nefarious intention had taken the body of Jesus away in order to further discredit him. So according to verse two then, she, she sees the tomb empty and she runs back to get Simon Peter, verse two, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That is John. John refers to him this way, not as a position of pride, but rather a regular reminder that he is loved by Jesus. He, he can't get over the fact that Jesus loved him, so he refers to himself, I love this, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, 
is verse two, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. She is beside herself, confused, dismayed. Now remember the statement, because we'll come back to it in a moment, because John focuses on Mary through this particular text. Well, what happens next is in verse four, both of them, it says, or rather Peter went out in verse three with the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. Both of them were running together. And this is just one of the kind of humorous things in the context of the Bible. It says the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Maybe John was younger, maybe he was just simply faster, but John tells you this not just as a reference to how fast his splits were when he was running, but rather because he stops at the tomb as he looks in. The text tells us he stopped, he stooped to look in, and John tells us what he saw. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in, so he waits. And then in classic form, verse six, when Simon Peter arrived following him, he went immediately into the tomb. Classic Peter followed him. He went into the tomb and he saw linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So there's this big emphasis on these cloths, why? Well, Jesus was likely laid on a bed of spices. And so first of all, if you're a grave, grave robber, you take the spices with you. What's more, you take the expensive clothing that Jesus was wrapped in. And here are the spices, here are the linen cloths. It's, it's it, to help you, the reader, know that this was not a, a, a robbery of some sort because all the stuff is still there. But then he also says that he has this, this, this face cloth that's folded up in a place by itself. The reason commentators believe that this is here is likely because of the last resurrection that was the resurrection of Lazarus and when Lazarus came out of the tomb he was wrapped up in all of his grave clothes in fact Jesus had to give them instruction to untie him so he could come out fully from the grave but Jesus here is a different kind of resurrected person that's the point we'll see later on in the text that his resurrected body is like nothing that had been seen to date. And so here are the disciples. They're confused. What does this mean? Nothing about this situation makes sense. Verse eight, then the other disciple, this refers to John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And then notice what he says. Look at your Bible. Look at what he says. He says, and he saw and believed right then he saw and he believed and then John adds a little bit of an explanation you might think well why, why, why is he believing now he says in verse 9 for as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead meaning prior to this time they didn't understand the full context but when John walks in in a very simplistic sort of way he didn't understand the full ramifications there's still a whole lot for him to learn but what he knew is this when he saw he believed that Jesus was alive and it's almost as though that John is surprised that he believed His eyes were confused before and suddenly he sees something that he had never seen. He saw things with new eyes. Listen, this is what the Bible calls the new birth. 
It's the means by which God supernaturally intervenes in your life. It's where all of a sudden the pieces fit. Suddenly, you find yourself hearing things that you've heard before and suddenly you hear them different. Maybe you grew up in church and you know that Jesus died. You know that he rose from the dead, but it's always been out here. But suddenly something about this virus has made you kind of wake up to, man, life is short, it's serious, I'm not in control, and I gotta, I gotta wake up. And even today, on this very Easter Sunday, your heart is in a different place, maybe even receiving what I'm saying now. And friend, you need to know when that happens, it is the movement of God himself coming after you in order to redeem you because he loves you. Jesus said the same thing to a religious leader in John chapter three when he said to him these words, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, what happens is that in hearing, you understand, in understanding, you believe. And it is that God, by his spirit, suddenly takes the blinders off. Man. One of my prayers for Easter Sunday is that there would be thousands of people who that happens to. Friend, I hope if you're not a Christian, it happens to you today. That literally, while I'm preaching this very sermon, that something within your heart would say, you know what? I believe that. I can't believe it, but I, I, I believe that. Or suddenly the fog of confusion lifts, your questions fall by the wayside, and you hear the good news that Jesus loves you, he died for you, and maybe for the first time you, on this Easter Sunday, Hold up in your home, watching a service over a computer screen or on a television, suddenly you're like, you know what? I believe. And your story a year from now will be in the middle of coronavirus. God found me and he saved me. Well, John wants you to see that confusion can be conquered and can lead to belief. Here's the second thing that can be conquered and that is sorrow. So maybe your issue isn't confusion, maybe it's sorrow. So hurting because of what's happened. In verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Apparently she didn't go in. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And notice, Mary sees something different because suddenly there are two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one on the head and one at the feet. She sees this. And the angels say to her, woman, why are you weeping? They're not saying this in a sarcastic sort of way, but they know what she doesn't know. And they're about to see her awakened to what they know. And so they say to her, why are you weeping? And she then says to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Just hear the grief in those words. Jesus was everything to Mary. And here she shows up at the tomb and he's, gone and she thinks someone stole the body. It's just another desecration. Verse 14, and having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Now we don't know if it was because of the immensity of her tears. They just couldn't see. She had clouded vision. Maybe her hands were in her face or maybe she just didn't have eyes to see him because of the way in which he was in his resurrected state. But then something Unbelievable happens. Jesus then talks to her and says, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And then Mary responds to him, supposing the text says that he's the gardener. She says to him, sir, 
If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And then in what I think is probably the most precious moment in this entire text, Jesus says to her, Mary, oh man. And she turns and she knows it's him because he called her name. Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They hear my voice. Jesus heard, or rather Mary heard Jesus call her name. This brings me back to a time in my life when someone's voice was deeply meaningful. You know that in the midst of sorrow, just hearing from a loved one, a parent, or a mentor. After our daughter passed away in 2004, I remember loading up my wife. We were heading out the door to go to the funeral home to make preparations for her funeral service. And an answering machine, remember those? <laughs> Kicked on because the phone rang. And on the other end was a mentor from college. And I'll never forget the sound of his voice when he said, Mark, it's John. And just the sound of his voice brought such comfort and tears because of the bond of relationship. It helps in the midst of sorrow when people enter your pain and call you by name. I wonder if you're a Christian, if you can remember the last time when in the midst of your own sorrow, something in the Bible that you read, maybe a song that was sung at church or a friend who prayed over you such that it just felt like it was the kiss of your Savior. For those of you who've walked through deep pain and difficulty, you know the unusual blessings of suffering, that it just makes the Bible more clear. You wouldn't want to hurt like this forever, but it just makes Jesus real. And in this moment of sorrow, here is Jesus saying, Mary. And then notice what she does. She calls him Rabboni, which is teacher. And then Jesus responds to her and says, do not cling to me, which she must have wrapped her arms around him. It's such a precious moment. Or maybe she fell on her face and wrapped her arms around his leg. We don't know. But he says to her, don't cling to me, which means stop clinging to me. Mary, you have to let me go. What a beautiful moment of the way in which Jesus can transform the sorrow of this weeping woman because he's alive. And can I just remind you that the way that the Bible ends is that we see Jesus and he wipes away all tears from our eyes. No death, no sorrow, no pain, no more viruses, no more morgues, no more illnesses because Jesus is alive and has conquered. So Mary then is given these instructions Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father and to my God and your God. And so Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. 
So John moves from confusion to belief. Mary moves from sorrow to belief. Here's the third one. The disciples move from fear to belief. Look at verse 19. From fear to belief. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Oh, man. So here we have the disciples. They are in a locked room. They are afraid, and they should be afraid. Jesus has been crucified. And remember, in John chapter 18 and verse 19, the religious leaders asked Jesus to tell him about his teaching and his disciples. Jesus refused to give them the names And no doubt they're in this room, they're filled with fear. They think they're next, waiting for a knock at the door. And in the midst of their fear, unknown what's gonna happen, uncertain, they may have been hearing reports of Jesus being alive, but how do you know? But here they are, and they're afraid. And in the middle of this fearful moment, look at what the text says in verse 19. Jesus came and stood among them. What a picture. He's there, right in the middle of them. And then he says this, and this is awesome. Peace be with you. They're in a locked room, scared out of their mind. What's gonna happen to them? And Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. In the middle of that room, Jesus is there. And then look what he does. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Could you imagine? We thought you were dead, you're alive. It's an unbelievable moment that the very presence of Jesus now brings comfort and joy to these disciples. It reminds me of the Psalm that I'm sure probably every one of you knows. The Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? For you are with me. You are with me. Jesus says, peace to you. In the moment when the disciples need comfort and help, Jesus shows up and offers peace to them. And friend, can I just remind you, Christian, I want to remind you that in the middle of all sorts of uncertainty and a lack of Peace. You have a shepherd who doesn't leave you. A shepherd who's always there. A shepherd who shows up in moments where we really need to hear from him. And maybe this very Sunday is that kind of moment for you. Jesus says it again in verse 21. He says, peace be with you. But notice this, he doesn't give them peace just so that they can feel comfortable. He doesn't give them peace just so that they could be emotionally stable. No, 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 Jesus gives them peace to accomplish that which then results in confidence so that they can be sent out on mission. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So the peace of Christ is meant not just for us to be emotionally okay. The peace of Christ is meant for us to be emotionally okay so we can go out and tell people about the good news of Christ so we can serve those who are hurting and knowing that our eternal destiny is fixed and God is for us becomes the basis of our courage to serve people 
in the midst of their need. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. He said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This likely then is fulfilled fully in the Pentecost moment in the book of Acts. And then Jesus says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness of any from any, it is withheld. And it's a complicated text. We don't have full time today to unpack it. But essentially, this is linked to Matthew 16 and 18, where Jesus gives the keys to the kingdom, to the church. And in the proclamation of the gospel, the church has the authority to say, this is how people are forgiven. If you believe this, you're forgiven. If you don't believe this, you're not forgiven. If you don't believe this or believe things that are different than this, then the Bible tells me you're not forgiven. So the hope of the gospel is in, that the, in the midst of a fear of judgment, the church through the Bible offers the hope of forgiveness to those who would put their trust in Christ. Here's the uniqueness of Christianity. Jesus comes not just to conquer your fear, Jesus comes to conquer your fear and to so fill you with peace that you could live for him. Because when your savior is alive, it changes everything. So they move from fear to belief. Mary moved and John moved from confusion to belief. Mary moved from sorrow to belief. And it would seem as though this would be a good place to stop in the text, but John gives us one more. He tells us about a man named Thomas who was a doubter. I'm so thankful this is in the Bible because we see how someone is moved from doubt to belief. Just in case you think that the disciples are full of faith and they never doubt, we have the example here of Thomas. So apparently he was not in the room at the time. He's one of the 12. He's called the twin, according to verse 24. He was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples, verse 25, told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see his hands in the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Never believe Thomas. Wow. We don't know what's going on in Thomas's heart. Maybe he's full of pride. He's like, I have to see to believe. But he's got all these disciples. These are the guys who he did life with. He has confidence in them, but not in this. He has to see, he has to touch. Maybe, maybe he's still grieving. Maybe, maybe he's nervous about being disappointed again. Maybe he went down the path of believing only to be disappointed and he couldn't dare to hope again. Or maybe he's just more cowardly, or kind of on the margins. He's not quite sure he has maybe a weaker constitution when it comes to fear. But we know this, he doubts. And friend, can I just speak to you if that's the kind of person that you are? You know there's a place in the Bible for you? Maybe you see people that are all confident and bold and you're just not like that. You know, there are disciples who weren't like that. And Jesus loved the disciple named Thomas, who was a doubter. He loves you as a doubter. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And this time, Thomas was, was with them. And again, although the doors were locked, John wants you to know this, locked doors don't stop Jesus. That's the point. 
And again, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. Wow, here it is again. Peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, put your finger here. And see my hand. Put out your hand, Thomas, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Wow. Jesus went right to the heart of what Thomas needed. Jesus applied the gospel in Thomas's life in order to help him to believe in a way that was so incredibly personal. And friend, that's what happens when the gospel comes to you. Whether you're coming at it from a position of sorrow or confusion or fear or doubt, the gospel comes and suddenly God takes that barrier of unbelief and he kicks it down in order to redeem you. And this is what he does with Thomas. Why? Because he loves Thomas. And the Bible says God loves you knocking down the barriers that stand in your way. And so Thomas then confesses Christ as Lord. He says to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus answered him, or rather Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. John adds this, not as a rebuke necessarily, I think, to Thomas, but rather as an invitation for you to believe. That's why it's here. Because if you look ahead to the next verses, 31 and 30, uh, 30 and 31, he says many other things that Jesus did. They're not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The whole reason that this gospel is written is in order to welcome you into the family of God. You see the beauty of the word from? You see it? From confusion to belief, from sorrow to belief, from fear to belief, from doubt to belief. So let me ask you three questions. Number one, what stands in your way of becoming a Christian today, right now? This text is so filled with hope because Jesus is able to conquer confusion. He takes confusion and he makes it clear. He takes sorrow and he brings hope. He takes fear and he brings peace. He takes doubt and he gives us faith to believe. And the Bible records all kinds of people who had all kinds of baggage when they came to Jesus. And today, here's what I wanna call you to. Don't let that baggage prevent you one more moment from not coming to Jesus. If you know you're a sinner, if you know that Jesus died for your sins, and why not trust him and believe in him? Why not make, it's this Sunday, why not make today, right now, for you to say, I'm a sinner. You died for me. I need you. Change my story, Lord. So what stands in your way of becoming a Christian? Number two, if you're a Christian, what did Jesus save you from? Man, Easter Sunday is a good day to reflect and to remind us what Jesus rescued us from. It's a good day for us to think of what your from was. What was it? From greed? 
pride, anger, lust, addiction, self-centeredness, covetousness, slander, fear of man, envy. Can I just remind you that this is the day that changed everything for you because as a Christian, Jesus delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into his own kingdom. And can you just let your heart on this Easter Sunday rejoice that you've got a from in your story. And then finally, what old issues are sneaking back into your life? When you think back, not just of the ways that Jesus rescued you, but do you sense any of those things in the midst of this season? sort of creeping back because of the pressure of the moment, maybe the isolation of this time. You see, the empty tomb was not merely a historical fact. The empty tomb is a present reality for how we live right now. So if you're a follower of Jesus, can I just remind you that Jesus didn't just save you from your past. No, 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 no. He certainly did that, but he also saves you from not letting your past become your present. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. And now if we have died with Christ, we also believe that we will live with him. There it is, the hope of the empty tomb. It's the best news in all the world that Jesus set us free from our sin. And friends, this is how the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Risen from the dead, belief equals freed from sin. That's the message that changes everything. That's what Easter is all about. He's risen from the dead. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are alive and have conquered and that there is hope because of you. Oh God, today draw people to yourself. Let many, many people be converted on this Easter Sunday. Lord, we ask you to use this very unusual circumstance in our life and culture in order to awaken the hearts of people of their need to follow you, to turn from their sins, and to be people who have been rescued from judgment. So help us, come to us, and minister grace to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.